Hi everyone, just before we begin this podcast, I would like to mention our brilliant sponsor, ANL Goodbody. ANL Goodbody is a leading Irish corporate law firm and one which really recognizes the importance of their graduate recruitment program. They have recently been voted the most popular graduate employer in law for the 10th year in a row. If you are looking for the chance to develop your career in a supportive, innovative and collaborative environment, ANL Goodbody can provide this in a modern, exciting, diverse and friendly surrounding. And I would really recommend you check out their graduate recruitment opportunities. In this interview, I'll be chatting to Jason Milne. Jason is a partner in ANL Goodbody's environmental and planning group. He previously worked as an environmental consultant and as a result has over 19 years experience in the field. In this interview, we'll talk about Jason's unconventional path to law, environmental law today, and what makes a good solicitor. It's definitely a worthwhile listen for any expiring commercial solicitors. So thank you so much for being here today and for giving up your time to speak with us at the Grad Life podcast. No problem at all. Happy to be here. So you have a very interesting background, I would say. I think a lot of people looking at your position now wouldn't imagine what you did when you were in your undergrad. But uh, speak to us a bit about that and, you know, why you decided to go to Trinity and study what you studied. Um, it was actually because of well, Trinity, because of my father. My father was a Trinity fella and he raved about it, uh, wouldn't shut up, shut up about the place when I was a small kid. He used to bring me around and show me the campus and show me where his rooms were. So that was kind of, you know, the place had a special place in my heart, you know, even from a young age. Uh, so... I was, you know, I was, Trinity was top of my list and I, I got offered, actually got offered a sports scholarship in UCD and I turned it down because I wanted to go to Trinity. <laughs> um, so uh, to all my UCD mates, yeah, so that, 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 that's how, how deep it runs in my family. Um, and then in, in terms of the, the course that I picked, um, I, I always loved science in school um, and I thought I was going to do pure chemistry. And then I went in and I, I just sort of studied natural science, so four-year degree. Uh, and in, in first year, I think it was geography, geology, maths, and, and biology, and, uh, and, I, and chemistry. And I absolutely hated chemistry. Um, yeah, so from being someone who was hell-bent on doing it to within a year, just just absolutely hating it. And I think it was because they covered the entire Leaving Cert course in, in one week for those who hadn't done chemistry before. Um, so then I, I gravitated towards geography, geology, and I ended up doing, a, you know, I, I got my degree in, in geography in the end. Um, so that's the kind of, you know, the the intro to, to why and then what in Trinity. Uh, but I really enjoyed my time there, I have to say. Yeah, so did you do, did you get involved outside of your studies in, I'm assuming you were playing sports in Trinity? Yeah, so hockey was, hockey was the thing um, for, for me. Uh, I had a lot of friends from, from different, like Dublin is, is so parochial in one sense. And particularly if you, if you play a minority sport like hockey, you know everyone who, who plays the sport and, and the various different schools that play it. So I knew quite a few people who were in Trinity ahead of me and then who, were, who would be going there. Uh, and it was sort of a good group of, of people. So I, you know, I, uh, I captained Trinity in my final year. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just, a, you know, when I look back in a study it was almost secondary or it was certainly secondary. <laughs> so I think a lot of I, people I will relate to that. That's okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so then you went on to do your master's over in Brunel University in London. 
um, and you did environmental management with law. So that seems like a, a bit of a change to then pick up law. So why law? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it was it was more the environmental management piece that I was interested in at that time, and and the law module. So I went to to Brunel in London, and it was so it was English law, but obviously the majority of of environmental law is based on EU law. Um, so and it wasn't really a conscious decision to say I want to do a law module. It was just tacked on to the end of the master's, so I did it, and I actually really enjoyed it. Um, but even at that stage, it didn't really spark an interest to say oh this is something I could do as a career um, so as I said I really enjoyed the environmental management piece um, and I actually ended up writing my thesis on Irish environmental law uh, so this is going back over 20 years now uh, and in Ireland at that stage environmental law was was still in its infancy uh, you know we we only had waste management law since 1996 and I was doing my master's in 1999 um, so Again, that again, it didn't really register with me that I was going to end up doing law as, or corporate law as a career. So I came, I came home from our from from London rather, and I was finishing off my thesis, and then you know I was sort of told by my parents to go and get a job. So 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 that's what I did. I, I remember going up to Dublin with a copy of my thesis in my hand, and just knocking on doors in terms of in, in environmental consultancies. Um, and the first, the first door that I knocked on, I ended up getting the job there. Uh, I think things are a little bit different now. So CV in one hand and a copy of an environmental law thesis in the other. So yeah, that, that's how I landed different. my first job. Yeah. Would you, could you explain to us what an environmental consultant does? Because you're talking to probably a bunch of law students here. Yeah. Okay. That's a that's a very fair point. I should have I should have clocked that. So, so <laughs> I, I mean, don't know. The, yeah. So there's there's a number of of different areas that that an environmental consultant could assist with. One is in water supply. So going and literally finding water supplies and drilling uh, drilling water supplies for for schemes or for individual houses or or anything like that. Another is waste management. So. Uh, advising companies but also waste management facilities as to how they comply with environmental regulation and so the environmental protection agency will regulate large uh, you know environmental businesses um, waste management businesses and, and other sort of more polluting types of, of industry um, they need to comply with licenses so the environmental consultant will also monitor those businesses to make sure that they're complying with the various limits that are set on them and then another thing they do is in the context of selling property or even selling businesses, um, they will carry out due diligence on that transaction or on that property to, to highlight any environmental issues. And that could you know, impact on the price of, of the property or the business um, or, you know, you know it, it, I suppose it's, it's digging under the hood of a business so that a seller, uh, so sorry, that a purchaser has a, a better idea of actually what they're buying. Yeah, and it seems um, particularly relevant these days anyway. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So you then moved into law, you started your traineeship, and why why did you move to law, I guess? So I, I was, I had left the first job where I, where I, which I got with my thesis in one hand and the CV in the other, <laughs> and I, I had moved on to another company, it was a consulting engineering company, and they were doing a lot of housing projects um, and I was sort of looking after uh, so certain types of development you have to 
carry out an environmental study called an environmental impact assessment. And I was preparing those reports and I was getting a lot, a lot of legal queries around the sort of scope of the environmental impact assessment directive and how it applied to different developments. And then I was also getting planning legal queries to do with you know, the planning applications for the developments themselves. So I had to kind of educate myself as I went along just on the, the legal issues that were arising. And, and whilst I wasn't advising clients, I was having to get up to speed on them. And it, that sort of sparked the interest. Um, and after about a year and a half, maybe two years of doing that, a light bulb went off and I thought to myself, sorry, I actually found out how, are you, how one can become a lawyer or a solicitor rather. Um, and because I always thought you had to have a law degree, but you don't, you just have to have a primary degree. Uh, and then you need to get an apprenticeship or a traineeship, and then you need to sit the, the law society entrance exams. And obviously, having if you've studied law, it's a lot easier to pass the entrance exams. I had to go and do a, a preparatory course. Um, but that I never knew that before. And I think a lot more people may consider doing law if they have a primary degree, or, or sorry, may consider becoming a solicitor if they have a primary degree and actually knew that that avenue is open to them. Um, so I sort of started researching how I would go about doing that. And I, I looked at the King's Inns route as well as going down the Law Society route. And, um, and I spoke to some friends of mine who were solicitors and and I spoke to one particular friend who at that time was a partner in Matheson and he said look would you think about you know he explained the process to me and he said would you think about if you're you know if you're got your heart set and would you think about putting in an application to to Matheson so uh, I he gave me the application form and this was kind of a light another light bulb moment this sort of 10 page document and the last page it's all online now the last page of it was just this blank page and it said write a short piece about what you did in your final year in college and I just closed the application form and I gave it back to him and I said look I you know I can hardly remember what I did in my last year in college and he said okay just give us your CV um, and then I you know a, a week later I think or two weeks later I had an interview and then I had a traineeship I had a traineeship lined up and at this stage I hadn't done any, any of the FE1 exams so um I'm very lucky like again that would simply not happen nowadays it's so competitive um but you know in looking back it's it's the best move that i ever made you know mm. so then when you you qualified as a solicitor and you went to work um work as a solicitor was it just a natural progression having worked in in environmental kind of um consultancy that you were going to go down the environment environmental law path too or did you enjoy other <laughs> other bits of it no, I did. I, I really enjoyed sort of, you know, exploring other areas of law, but but it would it was always going to be environmental and planning because that's what I I had the technical grounding in. Um, you know, when when you when you train as a solicitor in, in in a firm, you have to do various seats in other departments. Um, so I did a seat in property, I did a seat in general litigation, I did a seat in investment funds, um, and I did a seat with the with in construction with the environmental planning team. And obviously that gives you a good grounding, but I was always going to come back to, to what I knew best. Um, and look, it's, it's broader than simply the, the sort of type of environmental consultancy work that I used to do. Uh, you know, environmental planning is just such a massive area. We feed into a lot of other departments within the firm, um, you know, when we're working on mandates. So, but yeah, to answer the question, but I was always going to come back to, to, uh, to what I knew. So you're now now you're a partner in a in Goodbody, um, and 
I think a lot of law students will say, like, what, what is it about A&L Goodbody that you like? And what is it that you think sets it apart from other firms? Um, question. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. I mean, it, it's, it, it, so I, I've, I've worked in, in two other solicitors practices. So I have a sort of general appreciation of, of what, that it, what that is like in, in, other, in other places. But I think as a trainee, you, you don't really get a sense of, well, you do, but you don't get a full sense of, of you know, the, the makeup of, of a firm. You have to sort of be a fully qualified solicitor to, to, to fully understand it uh, because the training you get in majority of the top firms is excellent. Um, I, in a &L, it, it's the people that stand out to me without a shadow of a doubt. Um, it's, you know, being able to, you know, if, if there's a question that I don't know anything about, I can run down to some, well, not anymore, I can call my colleagues in the property department and run something by them and they will, you know, they will bend over backwards to, to help out. Um, so it's the kind of collegiality between the, the, the partnership and, and the solicitors and, and all the staff there that really, really stands out to me. And then, sorry to go back to environmental law again, something I was thinking about when I was just um, preparing for this was everyone here is environmental law, go, that's buzzword environmental anything these days. Um, and what is what has been the, the biggest major change you've noticed being reflected in the laws, kind of society has started paying more attention to it. And, you know, the EU is obviously putting a bit more pressure on everyone, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, reg environmental regulation per se, is, is, it does tighten over time um, and, and different types of industry become more highly regulated. But I, I, I think one thing that has struck me in the past, I'd say, couple of years is really access to justice for environmental matters and you know any third party now can and this is in an environmental but also in a planning context any third party can object to a, a development that you know is anywhere in the country um, and there are protective cost orders in place which prevent you know punitive costs being awarded against a party who's bringing uh, an action um, so that is something and I think and I think the general public and you know, interested third parties are getting more comfortable with this um, and what we're seeing in the market now is quite a lot of housing developments are being judicially reviewed in the high court the decisions from on board planola they're handing down planning permissions but they're being challenged uh, five six years ago that simply just wouldn't happen um, so people are, are they're becoming more savvy but then there is obviously an understanding of EU law and an application of that EU law in Ireland to say what well, yes look people you know citizens must have access to justice to vindicate their rights um so that that's kind of one area that that i think uh, and, and it's interesting because like we we act for a lot of property developers and they're obviously not happy about, about their developments being challenged um but it, it's very hard to curtail a, a right such as that um uh, and i think you know there's been grumblings within government that you know Obviously, there's a, we have a housing crisis, so how do we address that? But it's very difficult to say to someone, "Well, actually, no, we're we're not going to allow you to to, to challenge that that uh, that particular development um, because it's contrary to EU law." Mm. And you you said you um, like you represent all these big clients, and do you ever morally, as a solicitor working in a commercial law firm, does that ever play on your mind, or do you think more about that everyone has access to justice justice? kind of and 
I suppose, look, I, I, I suppose from an environmental perspective, I, I see myself as a good environmental citizen. Yeah. I try and practice good environmental, you know, um, in the home and, and whatnot in, in daily life. Um, I suppose if I'm acting for big clients, I don't really, I suppose environmental, social and governance is a is a big issue at the moment for for a lot of uh, for well, for for a lot of companies. It's called ESG, is the buzzword. Um, everyone is trying to be a good environmental citizen. Um, it, it it doesn't really play on my own conscious that I may be acting for an oil company or for a big property developer. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, they have a business to run. We do our best to assist them. Um, their governance structures really is a matter for them. Uh, so I, I try not to, it doesn't play on my mind. And I, to be honest, I don't really think about it that much. Um, you know, the, the, the types of entities and companies that we act for, um, they're not fly by nights. You know, they're not trying to pull a fast one. They, they comply with the law. Um, and and if they don't, well, in, in for example, in the, in the context of a, a, a property transaction or a development, if they haven't complied with the law, they simply don't get what they're looking for in terms of a planning permission. Um, so it's a good question. Is would Irish law be more restrictive than maybe some of our international counterparts, even outside of the EU, or would it be fairly pro developer? Um, I wouldn't call it pro developer. I mean, it, it you know. Irish law rarely goes further than than EU law. Uh, you know, it, it, it's rare that Ireland will say, actually, here, we're going to take a directive and transpose that. We're actually going to go further than the directive requires yeah. us to go. Um, so I'd say it's pretty uniform in, in that regard. Um, and we would tend to follow the UK position in, in a lot of uh, in a lot of implementation of, of environmental um, legislation. Um, and other jurisdictions I'd say you know it, it depends on what you're you're trying to deal with I mean U.S. environmental legislation in 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 some areas is pretty lax I would have to say um but then obviously if you look at some third world countries it's it's non-existent mm -hmm. I know that students listen to this this is you know uh, aimed at students or people thinking about their career and I'm people who are hoping to become solicitors or solicitors in commercial law firms what do you think as a partner who's seen i'm sure countless people come up through the ranks what do you think makes a good lawyer or a good trainee so i there's a difference between a, a lawyer and a solicitor because lawyers okay. include barristers and they're yeah. they're different they're different mindsets uh obviously solicitors you have like i think being a people person you know is a is a real help because you're interacting with clients and you need to you know get the client to enunciate their problem to you or the issue and then you need to understand that um and then it, it's it's having the empathy as well just to 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 you know to, to deal with the client's issue um so we interact with so many different people on so many different levels and in so many different scenarios whether it's a contentious situation or it's an advisory situation where you're trying to just advise a client um so you know, you're going to be interacting with a lot of people. So if that's, if you, you know, if that makes you uncomfortable, uh, maybe this isn't the career for you. Um, and then also, I think just the volume of information and being able to 
distill down the information and apply that to a commercial scenario and land on what is you know, the commercial imperative or what is the commercial advice for the client. Because at the end of the day in, in corporate or commercial law, that there may not be a perfect solution, but you have to say to the client, this makes commercial sense and this makes legal sense. Therefore, this is my advice. Um, so it's kind of distilling everything down, blocking out the noise and getting to the nub of the issue and making it commercial so that the client can actually take that and go, okay, now I understand and now I can implement that. And during your time working with a local body or working in law, do you think there's skills that are becoming more relevant that are perhaps more valuable for graduates to have as they as they move forward in their careers? Yeah, I mean, I think if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's it's the value of, of technology. Um, and certainly in certain areas of, of, of law and, and our practice, we're implementing different types of tech to do different types of jobs. And I, well, I suppose whether or not that's relevant to a trainee coming in and whether they have they should have that skill set, probably not when you leave college, but once you come into a or if you come into a commercial firm, um, you know, you get the opportunity to work with different types of tech to, to streamline processes. Uh, you know, I don't think AI is going to take over and, and make solicitors redundant, but it just makes processes more efficient, which means we can focus on on different um, different areas. Uh, so tech is a big thing. Uh, a, a lot of you know the older partners find it difficult to to get their head around and to 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 jump on board with it. And I think just having an open mind when you come into uh, you know. Uh, if you're if you are a traineeship some people come in saying i want to do this type of law and i'm going to become for example an eu competition lawyer uh it, i would say to, to any budding trainees to really keep an open mind and because you may come in on day one and you know your your mind might change pretty pretty quickly you've kind of answered my next question which was if you have to give <laughs> no that's okay if you've, you've you've given me another question then my question was if you had advice for graduates but uh the open mind one is is your advice. Um, but then you mentioned the pandemic and how you're gonna, you had to adapt and, you know, use tech more. Um, how did the pandemic and working from home affect your work? What was the most influential change on your team? And do you think it was good? Do you think it was bad? Do you think it's gonna, you know, have long-term effects? I think it certainly will have long-term effects really just from the, 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 the standpoint of, I don't think I'll ever be back in the office five days a week. Um, you know, I'm lucky I have a very good setup at home. Um, so I think, you know, two to three days in the office per week maximum. Uh, in terms of the, yeah, it, affecting the team and, and how we interact as a team, it, 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 ha it has obviously had an effect. Um, and I would say it's, it's had a sort of detrimental effect insofar as you can't stick your head around the door and say, could I just ask you this quick question? Um, junior lawyers and trainees don't get the benefit of you know, we, if we're in the office and pre-pandemic, we'd have a trainee in our office. So they'd be listening to everything we say and everything we do, every phone call we make, whilst they may not participate in it, they'd, they'd be there and they'd, they'd sort of pick up little things. So obviously that, not that that doesn't happen because we try and include the trainees as much as possible, um, but it obviously happens less. Um, so that sort of on the job training, um, you know, that, that, that's been lost over the past 18, 20 months or whatever it is. Um, but I think, you know, it, it has made me more efficient with my job and with my time. Um, 
and I think I, you know, I was in the office yesterday um, and just the, the physical act of going in there, you know, you think, oh, that's, that's an hour wasted, you know, where I could have been at my desk, but, but it does give you a bit of headspace in the commute. So there's pros and cons. And I think, I hope when we kind of reflect when there is a relative bit of normality back, we can sort of pick the best bits um, insofar as that's possible uh, and, uh, and just bring those forward. And linking back to the topic of advice, what's the best bit of advice you've ever been given by whoever, mentor, friend, parent, family? Um, it's funny. Some people have a sort of preordained idea of how they want their career to progress and where they want to get to. Um, well, when I was going forward for a partner, there's kind of a formal process you go through. And I remember speaking to one of the senior partners and he said, he said, Jason, I, I never had a plan. And he goes, I'm here completely by accident. Um, uh, and he explained why I won't go into the story, but, and I sort of felt almost the same thing is that I, I don't have a grand plan. And, and if that's your thing, absolutely set your goals and make your plan. But if you don't have a plan and you're feeling a bit at sea, don't worry. And that's what someone said to me is, you know, you may not know what you want to do. And if you don't just take it, you know, day by day, week by week, uh, and I think that's why I switched career is because I, I enjoyed my previous job, but there came this point in time where I sort of said, oh, there's something more interesting over there. So I'm going to just do a 90 degrees and go that way. And so, you know, the advice would be, if you don't have a grand plan, don't worry. And don't be afraid to take that difficult decision and, and take the other road. Um, because if you don't, you'll just be on the same road and you'll probably get less and less happy as your life goes on. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice, I think, because most students definitely don't seem to have a plan when they graduate. I know, <laughs> I know. I'm in final year now and I'm like, well, I don't know what's, what's going. Um, yeah, I mean, um, life will always, life, I, I'm a firm believer in it'll, it'll all work out in the end. <laughs> God, okay, hopefully. <laughs> um, my last question is something we always ask on the, the Grad Life podcast, and um, it's a book recommendation. Now, it, it, it can be a legal textbook, it can be a piece of fiction, it can be like <laughs> what your Bible is in work or what you read in your downtime, just whatever pops into your head. God, you see, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to show myself up here. I, because I read so much all day, every day, that the last thing I want to do at the end of the day is pick up another book. I say um, as well that you could um, recommend a podcast either. Well, actually, um, one, one thing that I was, I was just listened to is Chameleon, uh, which is sort of an interesting, it's almost like a, a, a true crime type thing, but it's, it's a bit of a twist and it's, uh, it's about, I suppose, scammers. Uh, and it's it's quite uh, topical at the moment. Uh, I was targeted by the Bank of Ireland scam myself, so I decided to listen to yeah. uh, listen to that one. And uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. So Chameleon by uh, Campside Media. Perfect. Thank you so much. That that's all all my questions for you today. And thanks so much for chatting with us, Jason. Not at all. It's a pleasure.